Hello. Welcome to the Daily Cron for Monday, March 25th, 2019. I'm Stephen Tolton. So over the weekend, I had the opportunity to do something I haven't done in years. That was upgrade an old MacBook Pro. I know. Sounds like a really fun weekend, right? And you'd be right. It really was. So uh, I had this old 2011 MacBook Pro that I've been meaning to upgrade for a long time, and the stars aligned. I finally had everything I needed to do to do the job, and so I got around doing it. And this is a, a thing I used to do with every MacBook or even iBook, because that's when I, way back in the day, had iBooks. Um, I used to upgrade all of them. I used to get the cheap model, and then I would buy RAM and hard drive third party, upgrade the internals, and then I'd have this like spec, specced out beast of a machine for hundreds of dollars less, like, you know, significantly less than Apple would have charged me for the same configuration with their, you know, build to order option. This just used to be the thing that tech-savvy people did or college students. That's what I was doing a lot because we were cheap and we couldn't afford higher-end stuff anyway. And, uh, you know, I'm in IT, and so I'm like, ah, I can do this. I used to build my own computers and run Linux kernels and, I got, and you know, compile stuff. I was like, yeah, I can do this. And the thing is, though, it used to be a lot easier to do. Like, this 2011 model reminded me how easy it really was. So the whole process, I'll just go through the process here and explain that this is this is not a complicated thing, though you just have to be very careful. It's uh, just you have to be careful, slow, and deliberate, uh, but otherwise it's a very straightforward process. So first, you got to get your components. I order them from OWC, which is Otherworld Computing, which is a very reputable vendor for third-party Mac accessories. You can look in their database there and find upgrades for all kinds of models computers. You just have to go to your little Apple menu, like the Apple logo uh, on the menu bar, right? on your Mac and say, about this Mac, and then it'll tell you what model it is. It'll say, like, MacBook Pro, Retina, 13-inch, early 2015. That's what this one is. And, you know, you'll know that that's the one. And you can also uh, look in the, click the button for System Report, and there will be a model identifier listed under Hardware Overview, and that model identifier is also useful. So those two pieces of information, the what it says on the About you know, uh, what it says on the about this Mac screen and what it says in the uh, system report, those two pieces of information, you can easily look it up on OWC's website or elsewhere. You can find compatible hardware. So you find something you know is compatible. So I found SSD and uh, oh, one terabyte SSD and 16 gigs of RAM. <clears throat> they were compatible. And they was cheap too. They were like less than 300 bucks for both of them. Anyway, so I ordered them. So that's the first thing you do. And then you got to have uh, the right screwdrivers. So the thing about you have the right tools. The right thing about Macs, Apple stuff in general, but Macs, like they, they always have specialized screws and glue and stuff. So they, they've gotten progressively harder to upgrade. 2011 Mac, pretty straightforward. I ordered a little kit a little with the hard drive kit came with this cheap little, like a plastic uh, USB 2.0 uh, case for the hard drive. So you can turn to an external hard drive. That's cool. Also came with a little pack of uh, cheapy screwdrivers that are perfectly fine for this job, and they have the right tips you might need uh, for any kind of work you're going to do, and I needed two of them for this job, so it worked out. <clears throat> so uh, I actually looked up an ifixit.com uh, um, guide for this as well, just so that I could review the hardware and stuff, and it was funny. I, I didn't realize that the back of the computer underneath of it, so step one of, of upgrading is obviously to open a computer. So on the bottom of the computer, you'll see these screws around the edge. There's actually three different types of screws in there. I didn't know that. I knew there were two. I didn't realize there were three, because two of them look very, very similar. Very, very similar, just slightly different. 
So I didn't realize that until I looked on the uh, iFixit thing. So good for them. <clears throat> and so I went ahead and I um I used the appropriate screwdriver, unscrewed them, and collected the screws, took it off. And then the next step is you disconnect the battery. Before you do anything <laughs> inside a computer, you like back in the day when I was doing this on desktops, it was unplug the power supply and then un- from the wall and then unplug the power supply from the motherboard. This is the same thing. You're just unplugging the battery from the motherboard. Thing is, though, even on a 2011 model, uh, it's a tiny little, it's still a pretty tiny little plug. And you have to very carefully, it came with this, came, my little toolkit came with this little sponger, I think they call it. It's basically a little plastic doohickey. And I just kind of very carefully had to rock each side very slowly until it popped off. Because you really don't want to, you don't want to break off a corner or bend a pin or something. So break it off, bend it back ever so slightly without damaging it, just so it gets out of the way, it doesn't accidentally reconnect to the hard the motherboard and shock you. So you do that, and then the rest of it is really straightforward. The hard drive is only on a 2011 model is only held on by like one bracket. <clears throat> so you have two screws, you unscrew them, take off the bracket, and you can pop the hard drive out. You have to be careful to disconnect it from the motherboard. There's a cable. You pop that off carefully. Then you take the little spokes off the end. There's four of them on each two on each side of the hard drive. You transfer them to the new hard drive. Put the new hard drive in. Reconnect the new hard drive. Put it in the spot. Put the bracket back down. Screw it down. You're done. The RAM, even simpler. The RAM is just held in with these two little like uh, they're stacked on top of each other and they're held into their sockets by these little spring arms on the side. So you just kind of pull them apart a little bit and it pops up and you you pull it out. Now, the bottom chip was a little tough because you really have to, like, make sure that it pops all the way up before you can, so it's angled enough so you can grab it with your fingers. And putting them back in, putting the RAM back in is a little bit scary because, you know, you have to put a significantly more pressure to get it to, to click into place than you feel like is comfortable. But as long as everything's lined up okay into the socket, that's just by design, and it's working fine. And they click into place, and you're you're good you're good to go, and then you reconnect the power to the motherboard, put the case back together, screw it back together again, and then you're ready to go. And then you boot up and see see if you're done. <clears throat> so that's a hardware thing. The other thing about upgrading one of these uh, old MacBooks is uh, I used to do this two different ways. I used to do it this way where you're just swapping a hard drive, or I used to upgrade it to a second hard drive. Like I used to take the CD-ROM drive out and put in an extra hard drive, so I'd have two hard drives in there. So I did that for a while on one of my computers. But in any case, whatever your boot drive is going to be, if you're going to switch to a new boot drive, which in this case, I obviously am, because there's only one hard drive in there, and we want to take advantage of the performance of an SSD drive, uh, because the old hard drive was like a spinning drive. So then we want to take advantage of that, so it means we have to clone the drive. And the, what I did was I took the SSD drive that I got, and I put it into the little uh, USB 2.0 uh, case that I had, and I plugged it in to the Mac before I did any of this stuff, while it was still configured with the old hardware. And I use this program called Carbon Copy Cloner to clone the entire hard drive, including making it bootable, so that I had a an SSD now that looked exactly like the hard drive that was already in there. And so then once I did the swap and I rebooted the machine, the machine didn't know the difference. One thing that's great about Macs, uh, in my experience, is they're very tolerant of these, these hardware changes. Like, you can clone a hard drive and just boot off it. You can boot off of an external hard drive if you have the right... Uh, type it used to be a little easier with you just have to just plug a firewire in i don't really know if it maybe it works on usb-c now but i don't know if it worked um on the uh a lot of these models recent years but you used to be able to just plug in an external hard drive and you can just hold down option and your mac would boot and you can just pick the one you want to boot off of i think it still works today actually yeah if you have a bootable drive you just plug it in you can just do that which is really cool 
right, right. The thing I'm thinking of was it was this FireWire specific mode where you could turn an actual MacBook into an external drive. And so it would, it would just be in like a hard drive mode and then you'd plug it in. And I don't think that works anymore or maybe it requires USB-C to work because it, it used to be a FireWire only thing. It was really very cool. I used to use it a lot actually. <laughs> but <clears throat> so that means you could take like your laptop for, and this is how I used to use it back in the day. I just take my iBook put it into this uh, FireWire like dry hard drive mode where it just acted like a really big laptop-shaped hard drive. And I used to plug it into a full-size Mac desktop and then boot off of my machine. So I was basically using the processor and memory of this big machine, uh, and I was just booting off my laptop hard drive. Uh, I would do that if I needed to like access something on the hard drive that was in the you know big desktop machine. But anyway, uh, you can just plug in, though, if you plug in an external drive into a Mac that's that's set up to be bootable, you could boot off it. It's really cool. So uh, I, that's what I did. So I went in, I, I cloned this drive with Carbon Copy Cloner, so everything was good. So now I have two drives that are exactly the same. Uh, and then, the you know, you do whatever you want with the, the old drive, format it, uh, eventually is what you should do. And because it's a spinning drive, uh, you and it's not, uh, and if you're if you have a spinning drive and it's not encrypted, you really need to do a secure erase at some point, which can be a pain if the drive starts failing. So my uh, <laughs> my suggestion is to encrypt your drives. So uh, you could do that in Disk Utility. If you never use Disk Utility on Mac, you can do a secure erase. It takes forever, but you definitely want to do that. Or you just like drill holes in the platter once you've done a regular erase on it. And you just, you just want to make sure that no one can pick up the platters and read data off of it, because that happens, and you don't want that. Uh, but you could also do like this software secure erase, which is pretty good. Uh, and then if you have an, an encrypted SSD, it when you do one of these erase, it just throws away the key. <laughs> so there's no there's no decryption key anymore anywhere. And then you just have a bunch of encrypted stuff on an SSD because SSDs work differently than than um, spinning disks. So you can't really do the same erasure erasure procedure. But uh, especially if you have things already encrypted, like with File Vault, which you should have on. Uh, you'll you'll just be able to uh, quickly delete a drive and know that uh, it's pretty secure there, as long as you didn't use like a dumb password. But even then, I think the way the way Apple has their um, encryption set up is is quite uh, quite good. <clears throat> so anyway, back in the day, I used to do this, right? And and I got to thinking, like, well, why can't you do this anymore, right? Well, I think there's a bunch of reasons why. Some of them have to do with, with as hardware's change and Apple has tried to, I think, secure the hardware aspect of the computer from tampering. They have wanted to lock down specifically the hardware that's on there. So if you change components on your computer, you can, like, make the, the, you can disable certain features. Uh, Like, this comes up with iPhones. This came up with, I remember reading the news a few years ago, like, the, the Touch ID sensor, okay? Some people were going to like a third-party repair shop and getting the sensor replaced, or getting a screen replaced or something, and it required some changing with the sensor, and then then it wouldn't work anymore, and it would say, "Oh, it was, this is not secure anymore." And that's because as part of their securing their hardware, uh, Apple have has a system built into it to check to make sure all the hardware is like known and validated and on, and you could trip that up by just tr- um, changing hardware components without going through the proper procedures. And the same thing, I think they're doing that on the desktops and the laptops over time. They're trying to make them more tamper-proof. And this has the, the, the reason, another reason I didn't do this is because if you want to use things like Apple Pay 
or touch ID like on your laptop, you need to have this secured um, chip on there. And you want to make sure that that there's no way for someone to easily tamper with the hardware so that, you know, that can't be trusted. So I think that's a big reason, too. I think another reason is they were uh, Apple was really pushing the technology envelope and they were uh, adding extremely fast SSDs and RAM and such onto their, 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 their computers. And I don't think they could have necessarily done that when they did it with the, uh, the standard connectors. That's more debatable. But I think maybe the main reason might be the one that uh, most critics will point out, too, that they just wanted to make them thinner and lighter. And by doing so, you have to trade off something, and that's a lot of space. I mean, having a standard connector in here for the RAM, for instance, like the RAM takes up a significant amount of space on this 2011 drive because you have this like big hole on the in the board and you have to put the chips in. Like you look at a modern computer, a modern um, MacBook Pro on the on the motherboard, and like the tiny little chips on there. It's like mostly battery anymore, but it's like tiny little chips on there for the memory and the SSD because they were able to miniaturize. They didn't have to have all the packaging around it, you know. So I think that's the main reason. And some people say, well, why don't we just have them be thicker and have more battery that way or have re, you know, swappable parts and putting aside any kind of issue with security? Uh, yeah, I mean, that is, that is one way to do it. You can buy a lot of PCs that make that trade-off. In the PC world, you can buy any kind of sets of trade-offs. But Apple is the only ones who make Apple computers, and they choose trade-offs that they must, for whatever reason, data or otherwise, <clears throat> think that their customers most want. Uh, and not all their customers are happy with that, but they make their trade-offs and they, they adjust, but they don't adjust very quickly. So I think, for instance, the latest MacBook Pro design, I like the keyboard, but that's very, very controversial because it tends to have a higher failure rate, it seems. But overall, I like the size, the shape of it. USB-C, even, I like USB-C. Once you get used to it, even though you have to do all dongles, you have older technology. Uh, I do like the size of it. I like, you know, the performance. But here's another here's a thing that happens with these computers as they've gotten lighter uh you know they're getting harder it's it's getting more difficult to keep them from essentially overheating you know like the thermal envelope is tighter on these because they made them so much smaller and so much stuff is packed in there so you'll you'll see that especially on the 15 inch model of the MacBook Pro but I think on the 13 inch model I don't think that's as much of a problem I think the 13-inch model, which is the one I've had most direct experience with recently, is a really great example of why the trade-offs that Apple made can be argued that, that, to, to make perfect sense. <clears throat> so I've used an early 2011 recently, like over the weekend, early 2015, and uh, like an early 2017 or something model, which has the new flat keyboard. So uh, the difference in size and weight is substantial between all three of these. Just the, the feel of them in your hand, the latest model MacBook Pros are just so much nicer to use. And I think that's the main trade-off. Uh, especially at the 13-inch form factor, the latest ones are like the perfect size, at, the, at least so far. They, they, they're just nice and compact. They feel tight and they feel really well built. There's no give. There's no bending going on. Everything just feels nice. They're light. They're they're pretty quiet most of the time, you know. They don't they're not getting super hot, uh, and yet they're but they're really portable, and that's a trade off you're making with a 13 inch. <clears throat> Go back to 2011 one, and that thing's like a brick. It's big and it's heavy compared to that. And then in between, like the one I'm using to record this, it's an in between model. It's it's still it it's not like it's 
extremely, you know, thicker than the latest model Mac Pro, but you hold the thing in your hands and it does feel significantly different. It does. I feel the weight of it as well. So I can understand why they're doing that, especially on the 13 inch line. Now, when you move up to the 15 inch quote unquote pro line laptops and these trade-offs are starting to interfere with what professional users, at least some subset of professional users want, that's a different story. And maybe Apple made a mistake there with some of their design choices. The problem is they don't usually change their designs all that often. So how many years now? I guess we're three years into the MacBook Pro design that we're using right now. And they made like a revision to the keyboard, but it's still not 100%. And, uh, you know, still don't have a lot of ports on it. They took out like the SD card slot, for instance. That's the one that's really painful for me. When I do eventually upgrade my personal laptop here that I'm using, the, this is the one that's the like 2015 one. When I upgrade that, I'm going to have to get like a little dongle thing for SD cards because I use them, you know, for my camera stuff all the time. But even there, I mean, technology marches on. And if you bought like a state-of-the-art camera nowadays, you might end up using uh, a different format that's not an SD card. So, you know, there's no, there's no like uh, one configuration of ports that are always going to work. But USB-C are the closest to being like those forever ports because of how compatible they are, how many things you can run across them. So then the real only uh, issue is how much bandwidth you have to work with, essentially. Uh, So uh, I understand why Apple makes those trade-offs. And having actually physically touched these three different representations of the MacBook design lineage over the weekend, I I tend to lean towards, at least on the 13-inch side of things, I lean towards Apple making the correct... Uh, design decisions, or at least the design decisions that I, I, I bet most of their clients or most of their customers uh, want. They want something lighter and easier to carry and use and you know less you know bulky and heavy, even though that means they're not going to upgrade. Because I, I honestly don't think the upgradability is even on their radar, Apple's radar, because most people, even when it was easy to do, didn't do it. And you know I wouldn't recommend it to most people anyway. So, you know, so nowadays, though, if you do buy a Mac, you're gonna have to just you have to save up extra money because you're gonna make, gotta make sure whatever internal storage you need and RAM you need, you buy it up front because you can't change it later. <laughs> it's a real pain, but that's the way it goes. <clears throat> that's the way it goes, and, and actually, that's spread to the rest of the PC market too, for the most part, and laptops and also. It's not just an Apple thing anymore, but they are uh, kind of leading the way, as they often do. Uh, so it was cool though to go back into my past when I used to build PCs and upgrade Macs and do a little bit more hardware hacking. Uh, Nowadays, I'm mostly software, and I just want my computers to work and be stable, (laughs) you know? And uh, I don't really care about them being, like, the best of the best hardware anymore. You know, I don't even keep up with, like, GPUs or processors anymore. I'm just like, I I got other things to do nowadays. But uh, if you're still a tinkerer, though, you can find all these old MacBooks online, like on eBay. And honestly, like a 2011 model, um, you know, I don't know. I think, I, I wonder, can you upgrade the 20, I don't think you can upgrade the 2015 model I have very well, but at least 2011, maybe 2012. I don't know, but somewhere around then when they switched over, made it much harder to upgrade. But you find one of those old Macs, like definitely obviously the early 2011 ones and probably later 2011 ones too. I mean, they're not fast computers, even with the upgrades. But they work. They're they're still kind of useful. If you find one on eBay and you know you want to sink a few hundred bucks in getting the battery and the 
RAM and the hard drive upgrade, you can still run a fairly recent Mac OS on there and fairly recent software. I mean, I don't know if you can run the latest version. Uh, this particular laptop did not have the latest version, I don't think, so I'm not sure if that was by choice or necessity uh, because Apple does uh, eventually sunset support for the hardware. But, I mean, it's still perfectly usable. And, you know, if you can get it super cheap on eBay and you're a tinkerer, could be a way for you to get a usable computer if you're okay living with, like, maybe slightly older stuff. But especially if today you're primarily using web software anyway, yeah, why not? You could do this. You could just use it as, like, a, a machine with big storage capacity, fast storage for, like, your photo album on there maybe, that if that still works. Or you could, you know, you could um, use it for just, like, uh, a bulkier <laughs> Chromebook type of deal. I mean, sure, why not? I mean, eventually, you know, the software is become, the software support, like the operating system support becomes uh, an obstacle. But, you know, if you're okay with that, and uh, I'm not even sure if you, you can upgrade to the latest one, but if you can't, then, you know, you make do. But it can still be useful. I mean, this old, old technology is still useful. And the older stuff, you could tinker with it more easily, and you could upgrade it, and you can keep it going longer. Uh, and that actually is a characteristic that I'm hoping they bring back in the Mac line on the pro side of things. I don't think we're ever going to see that on the laptops again, but at least on the desktops, on the rumored modular Mac Pro that Apple is developing, I don't know if that, I don't think that that's going to be the same deal as this type of project where I was able to just swap out hard drives and RAM. I think it's going to be different, but bringing back some way of doing that. I guess the modern the modern approach to modular design of hardware is actually external storage, external GPUs, plugging stuff in that USB-C port. And that means you can end up with a whole bunch of stuff hanging off the end of your computer, which can be annoying, but it does mean that you can swap stuff out pretty easily nowadays, far more easily than than, you know, what I had to do over the weekend to upgrade stuff. So, I don't know. Maybe I'm just an old man (laughs) on my lawn (laughs) being nostalgic for the days where you could open up your laptop and upgrade parts, and uh, I seriously doubt most people care anymore or want to attempt it. And uh, I'm not sure that the trade-offs of getting that back would even be worth what we'd be losing. But, you know, I don't know. What do you think? Let me know Uh, if you have a a strong opinion about this or not. Uh, Anyway, I think that's it for today's pretty long episode where I'm rambling about uh, hardware. I hope you enjoyed that. <laughs> uh, and if you didn't know, today was a big Apple news day, but I'm not going to talk about that because we're already going kind of late. And it's mostly about like entertainment services, news service, TV service, that kind of thing. And if you're interested, you can find tons of stuff about that on the web. Uh, but when I know more about it, especially uh, some aspects of it seem to hint at some SDK-related stuff we'll see in WWDC, so maybe I'll have an opinion about it later, at a later date. But for now, it's kind of interesting to see uh, Oprah up there on the stage today <laughs> with, with Tim Cook. But uh, otherwise, not not super interesting from a technical like developer standpoint today. But, you know, I do like the uh, Apple News, you know, magazine design they announced today. I just I don't know if I'm going to spend 10 bucks a month so I can watch, I can read magazine articles, you know, but looks nice. Okay. That's it for today for this Monday, March 25th, and I will talk to you tomorrow. Keep the lights low, cause it's
sunshine.